Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello and welcome to the Women in Manufacturing Podcast. My name is Fran Brunel, and I'm the president of Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers, Inc., a company that specializes in mergers and acquisitions nationally within the manufacturing sectors, and I'm your host for today's show. Today, we welcome to this show Rita Tabachnik. Rita is the president of Tabachnik Fine Foods, a nationally recognized soup company with over 30 varieties of hearty soups and broths. The company, amazingly, is now in its 115th year of operation. Under Rita's leadership, Tabachnik Fine Foods today serves multiple markets, including school lunch, national USDA programs, and retail frozen and fresh soups. Rita, welcome to the show. Thank you, Fran. I am going to enjoy being here. My name is Rita Tabachnik. I am the owner of Tabachnik Fine Foods. And as you mentioned, I make a line of frozen soups. I now make refrigerated soups and I make aseptic soups. Those are the ones that are aseptically packaged. They're shelf stable. I also do school lunch, multiple programs for that. And I work with USAID to um, provide what is known as ready-to-use therapeutic foods. And those are sold internationally to countries like Somalia, the Dominican Republic. Let's go back. Break. Before we get into a lot of the different types of products, I don't think that I've ever interviewed someone whose company has been operating for over 100 years or 115 years. Give us a little bit of the history of Tabachnik Foods. Well, in the 1900s, my husband's relatives came to the United States and they opened delicatessens. The delicatessen is the starting point for the soup business. They were manufacturers of uh, basically Jewish staples, smoked fish, herring, all kinds of sliced meats. And from that delicatessen business, which is over 100 years old, they began manufacturing soups. And the soups were so popular that they couldn't make enough of them. That's when they started to freeze them so that people could take them home and heat them as their at their convenience. And the frozen soup business was born in the 70s. So you and I have talked before about the fact that it's really like three different businesses. Can you describe each of those units for our listening audience? Yes. The supermarket business, I'm in three different areas of the supermarket. The refrigerated soups, which have an eight-week shelf life, would be in the well, obviously the refrigerated section of the supermarket. And then my frozen soups, which are in the frozen section, they come to boil and bag packages, you know, per box, or I also have my bowl line. I have multiple forms of the frozen soup. I make the twin pouches, the chicken soup, which has matzo balls and noodles in it, is in a 15 ounce package because there's no really good way to get the matzo balls in a smaller container. So it's in a 15 ounce. I make a a bowl soup, which is good for people who go to the office or who want a quick lunch. They can microwave it, eat it in the same bowl. 
which is a positive. And then I have my organic line, which is under the Benji's label, which is a memorial line for my husband. He was a strong believer in organic foods and in all natural foods. So I came out with a line to honor him, which is organic, gluten-free, and it's in a boiling bowl. So it's it's not in a boiling bowl. It's in a bowl, which can be microwaved. So that's also in the supermarket, as well as my shelf-stable broths, chicken, vegetable, beef. The aseptic soups are in the grocery aisle. So interesting. I would say not a lot of people know that you can get soup in the frozen aisle. Yes, that's true. We were really pioneers when in the 70s we came out with frozen soup. And the reason we came out with frozen soup is freezing is a natural preservative. People think that fresh is necessarily better than frozen, but that's not really true. Because when you have any type of fresh vegetable, it has a life of maybe a few days before it starts to go bad. Whereas if you freeze something at the height of its freshness, it stays fresh. It has the same nutritional value and it has the same look and feel. So what we did was we froze our soups so we wouldn't have to use any chemicals, no MSGs, no fillers. We were able just to make them as a fresh product, all natural, and then the freezing seals in the quality. So that was the purpose of a frozen line. Unfortunately, it has been difficult to educate people as to the benefits of frozen, but I think with people's expanding palate and the desire to have more organic and fresh style products, I think they're finding us in the frozen section. Yeah, it's almost like you guys were way ahead of your time. You know, these days you have all of these different services that are delivering frozen food into homes. And people are starting to understand that frozen it can be actually fresher than fresh food, right? Hey, I want to jump back to something. So you talked about the Benji's Natural had been done in honor of your husband who passed away. And so it's an interesting topic and one that many family-owned manufacturing companies would be interested in hearing someone speaking who has lived through this. Your company had to instantly transition to you at the helm. Could you speak at all to the, the challenges and the importance of preparation for an unexpected event like that? Well, my husband's death really wasn't uh, unexpected. He had, had been fighting cancer for four years. But I was very, very fortunate in that my husband and I made decisions together and that I was I had worked for the business for many, many years and I knew the product line. I at least knew the frozen soup line. I was not as familiar with the school line or the ready-to-use lines, which he developed. But the most important thing was we discussed his lines, and I had a feel for the business. And we had people who had been with us 10, 20, 30, you know, 40 years. And basically, when I looked at what would happen to the company if I sold, that was not something that was acceptable to me, because I knew if a large company came in, the first thing they would probably do was fire all the top management and probably sell off the parts of the company. So when I looked at it, I had a meeting with my sons who were at the time working with my husband in the business. And I said to them, you know, daddy has left us a long legacy in this business. 
and both of you were working in this business, but this is not a caretaker business. This is a come to work every day, roll up your sleeves and get the job done kind of business. I said, I'm willing to go forward if you're willing to make 100% commitment to being in this company full time and working and learning all aspects of the business. And basically when we sat down and we looked at the different aspects of it, I said, okay, I know I can run this area. And then I spoke to my key people and said, okay, I'm going to need help with the ready to use therapeutic foods. I'm going to need some help in school lunch. And then we set down a program of an organizational program as to who was going to do what and who was going to have one, what type of responsibility. Plus I knew I needed, there were new regulations for my factory that I knew I had to meet. So it was a question of meeting with all of my plant engineer and my mechanics to say, okay, we're going to have to renovate this factory to make products going forward and to meet the new FDA standards. Once I knew that I had a team that we could renovate the building and I had a good contractor to help me renovate the building and I knew that I could count on my different employees to work with me and get things done in the different aspects of moving the company forward, then I said to the, my sons, okay, we're all in this and we're all making this commitment. And I also asked for commitment from my employees so that they knew that I would be running the company and what I expected of everybody in the company and how things were going to work. I'm very organized and I needed everyone to be very organized. You, you have to have a plan. If you're going to uh, renovate a building and come out with new lines, you have to have a plan and you also have to be able to delegate and you have to be able to delegate to competent people who will come back and tell you the truth that this is working or that's not working because something a lot of times that looks good on paper doesn't work out. The best example of that I can think of is my fresh soups that I launched just actually about uh, nine months ago. We had actually done fresh soup 30 years ago. I knew I could reintroduce it, but it had failed terribly 30 years ago because people were not ready, consumers were not ready to accept fresh soup. When they went to the store, they couldn't seem to think of it like a yogurt or a cottage cheese that you take it home, you put it in the refrigerator. They were taking it home and putting it in the freezer. So I knew that this was not going to work. We discontinued the product 30 years ago after probably eight or nine months because it was failing terribly. And then I came out with it again nine months ago because it was the right time. So that's what I also had to impress upon my staff was we were going to trim the lines that weren't doing well and introduce new lines that I knew would do well. And they had to trust my judgment. I would trust them and they would trust me. Rita, this is an absolutely fabulous story. I mean, you really, it, it's one thing to have to retool a manufacturing facility but having to do it in the midst of new regulations, in the midst of your husband's death. And also, it sounds like you really put forth incredible effort to develop standard operating procedures. And this is really inspirational. And congratulations on what you've done. I want to circle back to you're talking about the new regulations in the food industry. There's actually a lot of talk surrounding this. And we have actually been approached as a mergers and acquisitions firm by smaller food manufacturers 
who don't want to or don't have the capital to deal with some of these new regulations. Can you speak into how the regulations have changed in recent history and certifications and so forth that may be incredibly important to be successful in your industry? Well, a lot of it is the required lab testing. All of our testings, when we're making a product, we're pulling samples off of our line, you know, several times a day. And then we send them to outside labs for certification as to, it's like a standard set of tests that are done to make sure that the product doesn't have anything in it that shouldn't be there, that you don't have any, uh, I'm trying to think, coliform. And that's what we do. We send the product out to the lab. There's a lot of testing on it. And then we get the results back. And then if it meets, if everything is perfect, which it always is, then we can send it out to consumers. But everything along the way is the standard operating procedures. Do you have your paperwork filled out? Have you done your swabs? Like one of the big things that we do is we take these swabs and we make sure that all of our equipment is sanitary. And then the procedures to clean the products, you have to use specific cleaning chemicals that aren't harsh mm-hmm. and you have to document everything and you have to have a HACCP plan, which is also which person in your organization does what, you know, who's checking whatever your machinery is, who's checking all of your produce. In my case, all of the produce that comes in, does it have all the right documentation? Has it had all the right tests to make sure that it's a pure product? Where are your products coming from? Are you buying American? There's a lot of different component parts to make sure that you're making a product that's safe for your consumers. Do you have a recall process? So between the outside lab, your recall process, the insurance you have to have, and then there's certifications besides the SOPs, the HACCP. Are you going to be SQF certified, which is a whole other level of certification? I have someone come in who's my process authority, and she checks each and every one of our machines to make sure that, let's say a machine has developed, not my machines at this time, but let's say you've developed rust. You can't have rust on a machine. Mm-hmm. You can't have, you have to use the right type of, I'll call it a jelly that connects. It has to be food grade to connect component parts. How do you clean out your drains? Do you have any dust, dirt? Are the trucks that you're putting in your product to send it out, are the trucks cleaned? So, and I'm USDA inspected, so I have an inspector here full time. So he does paperwork and he tests product. You need a lab, you need a lot of testing, and that's the key to success. I wish I could give you more details on exactly what tests we do, but in all honesty, I don't oversee the test. You need somebody who's a quality assurance expert in your facility to tell you not what you're doing, but to implement the right types of programs so that you're always going to be able to have a good quality product. I think you're doing a great job of conveying to the audience just the girth of what has to happen in your industry. Seriously, I had no idea. You had mentioned to me before that there was testing and so forth, but what you just described is incredibly intense and I guess necessary to ensure the safety of the food being produced. I noticed on your website, so it has a very kind of healthy vibe. You see Benji's Naturals, organic soup, low sodium soup, fresh soups. And it seems as though you are a stickler for quality raw materials. 
Um, that's a hundred percent correct. As a matter of fact, my son Alex, who's the plant manager, and he's also the buyer. We switched from buying any type of foreign produce to buying all American within the last year. And we were really glad that we did, given all of the problems that we now have. Everything is American. You know, I'm buying my things from the great state of Michigan, the great state of California. I have, you know, produce and, you know, fresh uh, fruit coming from all over the United States. And I'm actually able to, a year ago, before COVID-19, I was actually able to go into the blueberry fields and get on a machine which harvests the blueberries. So that was a fascinating process. But to be able to see, you know, get out in the field, see the blueberries, see how they're harvested, and then see how they're processed. How are they washed? How are they packaged? You know, what are their SOPs? What are the, What is their machinery like? What are their cleaning processes? So I felt very, very confident that I had a really good quality blueberry because I'd seen it from the field through the complete processing. And when you wash a blueberry three, four, five times, you know you have one clean blueberry. I absolutely love it. I want to ask you about something else that I think might be of interest to our listening audience. And that is a woman-owned business certification. I assume that you are, you know, a woman-owned certified business? Yes, I'm a woman-owned certified business and I'm also a hub zone certified mm-hmm. business. I'm both. Okay. And there is a, a real benefit to being woman-owned. There's a lot of companies that look to do business with women-owned companies, but I'm also very fortunate. I do a lot of contracts with the Department of Agriculture, USDA, and they do look to do business with women-owned business, and they do set-asides for a woman-owned business so that if I'm bidding on a product There will be, as long as there's another woman-owned business involved, they have the rule of two. It has to be two women-owned businesses in order for them to have a set-aside. But I make a strawberry blueberry cup for the government that's given out to school children Mm -hmm. at lunch because there's another supplier, another person who also makes the blueberry cup. They were able to give us a 30% set-aside on the total contract, which is very nice to know that you know they want women to be in manufacturing. We can make a good product and they encourage us. So that's good. So anyone who has a is a woman-owned business company, I would encourage them. Yeah, I talked to a lot of people who kind of think that that process is just too much work and not worth the effort. But you say differently. You think it's very much worth the effort, it sounds like. Absolutely. If you're running a business, you would have all the documentation because it's basically your financials, how your company is set up. You know what your percentage of ownership is. Mine happens to be 100%, but you only have to be 51% woman-owned in order for it to be qualified as a woman-owned business. If you're running a business, you would have all the paperwork. It's a little bit of effort to put it together because it's, it is quite a bit of documentation. But once you have it done, you're done. And then you can just resubmit every year or you can hire someone if you find it too daunting and they can do the paperwork for you. But the SBA is set up to do this and they'll help you. You can ask all the questions you want and you know they'll check on your documentation for you. You'll get a list of what you need to do. And if you're, you know, if you have a company, these are things you're going to have to do anyway. You're going to have to pay taxes. You're going to have to have some kind of a structure to your company. So, no, I I don't really think it's it's time consuming, but it's not difficult. 
Thanks for sharing some color on that. I'm sure everybody will appreciate it. Rita, in addition to speaking with my guests about their companies, I also love to see and talk about how they give back to their communities. Can you share a little bit with our audience your company's work with New York City's largest emergency food service organization? Yes, that's true. We have been a longtime supporter of Holy Apostles, which even though it's Episcopal, is really, it's non-sectarian. Anyone can come there. What I like about them is they do 1,200 meals a day. My guess is more at this time. That's what they were doing a year ago. But they service veterans. There's a lot of homeless veterans who end up not having, they end up on the street, they're homeless. They need services. They need emotional support. They need help getting a job. They need help finding shelter. And they need a good meal. And the way that Holy Apostles has it set up is they really don't ask any questions. You get in line and they feed you a wonderful, nourishing meal. They have great volunteers. But what I really like about them is all the money that you donate to them goes right back to the community. They have really no overhead. They have very low salaries. They're not fat cats at all. So I'm very proud to support them. We also support the Franklin, well, several food banks here in New Jersey. The Franklin Food Bank is the one that's closest to us. So whenever I have, I would say, a little extra or I'm trying out a new product or there's something, if it's winter and it's cold and they need soup, they know they can come over and we'll load up their trucks with a variety of soup that they can use at the food pantries that they have. And give out to needy families. People don't realize, especially now with COVID-19, what the need is. These food banks are empty. And if we have any, you know, if we have anything extra that we can give them, or not necessarily extra, if we have monies that I can set aside specifically to help people in need, then that's exactly what I do. I try and carve out a budget every year for people who are hungry because, you know, that's my business. I'm in the food business and that's where I feel I can help. I just love hearing that. And thank you for all that you're doing. It's just amazing. We're starting to run out of time. And before we do, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about what might be new and what's next for Tabachnik Fine Foods. I actually have several new lines coming out. The first is I took a little break from the peanut butter business, but I'm back in the ready-to-use therapeutic food business. So I have my therapeutic peanut butter coming back out. I also have a line of single-serve peanut butters coming out, and I have a line of shelf-stable marinara coming out. And I have a line of, there was a call, my soups are all single-strength. They're not condensed. But due to COVID, there's been a rising need for condensed soups. So I now have a new line of condensed soups coming out. So those are my new ones, my new line of condensed soups, my shelf-stable marinara, and my peanut butter lines. So those are the things that I'm putting my efforts into now. And those are all things that are good basic products that families who perhaps are challenged in their budget can afford. I've tried to make a very relatively inexpensive line so that people can get something that's good nutritionally, but also that they can go and feed their family with. Wonderful. So as we start to close out, Rita, please tell our listeners how they can learn more about Tabachnik Fine Foods. If they want to find where your products are sold, how do they learn more? Well, the best way to find out about Tabachnik Fine Foods is to go to our website, which is www.tabachnik, T A B 
A-T-C-H-N-I-C-K.com. If they Google our website up, they'll see all the different products that we make. They'll see our philanthropic work. They'll see uh, some of our school lunch products. I know parents are very interested in what their children are eating for school lunch. So that is really the best way to learn about all the different soups we make, all the different products we make. And also you'll get to see uh, videos of my children and myself and the different activities that we have. I like to do a family section because we are a family-owned business. And our slogan is, you know, family is the most important thing to us, our family and other people's families. I love it. You're an absolute delight. Thank you for all that you do. And really, thank you for being with us and sharing information today. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Fran. It's been a pleasure. And anything I can do to promote a woman-owned business or manufacturing, I'd be delighted to help. Great. I'd like to encourage our listeners also to visit www.whampodcast.com, where they can listen to all of our shows and also other manufacturing podcasts brought to you by the Jacket Media Company. Thank you for joining the Wham Podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.